According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures, and this morning we get our first look at Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. I believe we wrapped up the last details from Proverbs chapter 10 a week ago. You may correct me if I am mistaken on this, but I do believe uh, we gave points H, I, N, J. Before we ran out of time, we talked about acceptable announcements and perverted pronouncements. Uh, No one complimented me on the alliteration there, so I was a little bit bummed when I left. But announcements are acceptable and pronouncements are perverted. Um, not because of what they are, but because of the text here that describes that. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable. Okay, And this is really, it forms a marvelous bridge with what comes across because we're going to have a similar concept in chapter 11 to introduce verse 1 where a just weight is his delight. And the vocabulary for delight, uh, it may not seem to be obvious, but the vocabulary there for delight also speaks to that acceptability. It is what you want to embrace. It's what you want to accept. And so the idea of acceptance is, is something you hug. Okay, It's something you embrace. It's something you want close. And closeness shows acceptance. Okay, uh, if, if you're not close to somebody, you're not hugging them. That's, that's just kind of a, a general rule, right? I mean, that's normal. And it's, it's the opposite of, of abomination. Okay? Abomination is you want, you're pushing it away. You want to drive it far from you. You don't want to be near it. You don't want to smell it. You don't want to be, hear it. You don't want to see it. That's the nature of an abomination. And so we're going to have uh, a message this morning that centers on uh, abomination versus delight. And that's what we're looking at there in, in Proverbs 11.1. 1. So as we wrapped it up last week, the lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. And so we have this capacity to bless or to curse. We have the capacity for marvelous things, beautiful things. Some of the, the, the preaching and the singing and the testifying and the witnessing and, and some of the most heavenly realizations that can happen on planet Earth come from the mouth. They come from the human mouth. They come from out of the voice of babes. They come from the, uh, from, from the heart that expresses such love and joy. And at the same time, some of the most vile, wicked, depraved, perverted, disgusting um, things come out of the same human mouth. All right, and uh, and it's uh, it's a remarkable aspect of what God has designed in the realm of humanity. All right, so that ties together the details of what we were dealing with in chapter ten. We're ready now for chapter eleven. Before we do get started, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer to ask God the Father to set aside our distractions to humble us under the authority of His truth. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing that it is for us to assemble together this morning. We call upon your faithfulness to lead us in these things, to open the eyes of our understanding, Father, to lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I do thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, Proverbs 11. If you have a pericope heading, it says, contrast the upright and the wicked. And I think we all have pericope headings if we have paper Bibles or if we have Logos, unless you have Apple Logos. And then Apple Logos 
steals your pericope headings. I don't know why. I cannot explain it. But uh, anyway, we'll solve that someday. Proverbs 11.1, 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When, uh, I'll just read a first few verses here. Uh, in, in some respects, we puzzle over why did we get a chapter division here? <laughs> All right, well, Why did we break any of the chapters down in between chapter 10, 11, 12, 13? I mean, shouldn't we just have one monster chapter from 10 to 24 um, in any event? When pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless will smooth his way, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. And I don't know if you've picked up on it yet, but I'm going to be stressing as we work our way through, many of these verses are taking us into the public square. These these, uh, verses here in this chapter are taking us from a personal application to a public application, starting right off the bat with the scales right off the bat with our commercial dealings and our business dealings between one another, that we have to take our personal wisdom and make it public. And so if, if there is a good reason for having a chapter division here, this may be it in the sense of taking all of what we were dealing with in chapter 10 and now bringing it into the public square. See, although a lot of chapter 10 also dealt with the public square. So it's kind of hard to delineate and to outline in this, uh, in this respect. Chapter 11 continues the same themes and poetic uh, structures from chapter 10. It is a continuation, and that's going to happen through this chapter and all through chapter 24, all right? Or at least certainly through chapter 18. Um, It's hard to outline. It's hard to to break it down into chapters. It's hard to structure it because it appears to have no structure. It appears to be a loosely connected uh, chain of, uh, of, of pithy statements as we've been looking at it. You'll notice the pericope headings are all identical. Uh, in chapter 10, it was contrast of the righteous and the wicked. Uh, in this chapter, it's contrast the upright and the wicked. Wow, big difference. <laughs> all right? And I think that difference is so minor that um, it just gets repeated, becomes redundant for chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15. Every last one of these down through chapter 18 is uh, given the pericope heading of contrast the upright and the wicked. Contrast the upright and the wicked. Just flip through the pages and this is what we're looking at. Okay, And so this is, uh, these are the pericope headings that the Lachman Foundation chose to, uh, to place. When we get to chapter 19 then, it's on life and conduct. On life and conduct. On life and conduct. On life and conduct. All right? On life and conduct. That's through chapter 23. And then chapter 24 is precepts and warnings. So there's slight variety once we get towards the end of, uh, of 10 through 24. Remember, 10 through 24 is a unit. It's a unit based upon the text. We don't get to another text heading until chapter 25 and verse 1, where we have another reboot. We have another introduction. These also are the Psalms of, uh, are the Proverbs of Solomon that were gathered together. They were collected during the days of King Hezekiah. And so um, chapter 25 through uh, 29 is then thought of as the book of Hezekiah. It's the, it's the, it's the proverb collection that Hezekiah's men put together um, to add to chapters 10 through 24. All right. 
Anyway, the, uh, the themes and poetic structures continue. So we're going to have a lot of the parallelism. We're going to have a lot of the A but B statements. And we're going to have the, the antithetical parallelism where A is contrasted with B, where it's A but B. And that's what we have here. We have a but in verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a uh, just weight is his delight. And that's why it's antithetical parallelism. You have the A statement, then the but, and then the B statement. See, that's antithetical. And you'll notice as you just scan down the page here, I'm back in Proverbs 11, uh, verse 2 has a but, verse 3 has a but, verse 4 has a but, verse 5 has a but, right? I mean, depending on how it's formatted, you can just scan down the page and spot every every but in the is the first word of that second line of of all these verses uh verse 7 though you have an and when a wicked man dies his expectation will perish and the hope of strong men perishes and so we have a synthetic parallelism there that happens the opposite of antithetical synthetic okay there's a couple of different uh and parallels that we can have in in hebrew poetry um, there's parallel and then synthetic, all right, and, and we'll talk about those as we get to each one. Most of them, though, are in the uh, but category. So we have a continuation. So what we're saying, and you remember when we ended chapter ten, what did we do? We just gave a heading to verses eleven following and said, "Here it is." Right? We said chapter ten concludes with a long chain of disconnected life principles, and really, it continues now into chapter eleven a long chain of seemingly unconnected life principles. Now, where, there, where I do find some themes that may be slightly different from chapter 10 is this, is the transition from personal to public. And I realize I haven't quite defined it so well, I want to define it here. The personally righteous individual, right? We're dealing with righteous versus unrighteous, upright versus wicked, the personally righteous individual, personally living in God's wisdom, will manifest a public integrity. Now just stop right there, because I'm going I'm to build on that, but just stop with that right here. We talk, uh, we talk about public integrity a lot, because <laughs> we don't see much of it in our culture. We talk about public in- integrity. We want, we want integrity in our public officials. We would love it if our, if our government officials used wisdom in their decisions. And we pray for that, and we vote for that, and we want wisdom in public life. We want wisdom in government. We want wisdom in business. We want wisdom in, in, in every aspect of public life. Well, how do we get that? How do we get wisdom in public life? How do we get righteousness in public life? How do we have integrity in corporations or in government? See? Well, it starts with the individual, and we can't lose sight of that. Because you can't, you can't, um, government can't reform sinners, <laughs> right? We were just talking about that. Sinners are sinners, and, and Scripture has a provision for sinners. It's called getting saved, all right? And then for believers in becoming disciples, we have the renewing of the mind. And anything other than that is not going to work. If your mind is not being renewed, then you're not a disciple. If your mind is not being renewed, then you're being conformed to this age. And conformity to this age is, it's, it is what it is, all right? And so we want to be clear on this. Um, personal wisdom. I, to, to me, it's, it's, it's a thrill. It's, it's a thrill when I meet 
uh, a disciple that I had no idea. I was talking about a, a, a Scrabble opponent that I met in Fort Wayne, Indiana this summer. And um, I formed a first impression of this person just based on physical appearance. Isn't that terrible? Why do you do that? And then, uh, but then I got to meet this, uh, this person and I found out she was a believer. I mean, it was just obvious. Wow, this girl's saved. And then we start playing Scrabble and she's beating me and I'm not enjoying that. But in the conversation, I find out that she knows the scriptures. She's not just saved, she's living in the Word of God. You can tell when somebody's living in the Word of God because that's what comes from their mouth. That's, what, that's what's reflected. And then I realized she's got a frame of reference for wisdom. This is, a, this is a person with wisdom, see? And that's a blessing. And so when you identify somebody with wisdom and they have personal wisdom, that's how they live their life. And you realize it's not just how they live their life in private, you know, keep your, keep your Christianity out of the public square. No. We live our Christianity personally and publicly. That's why the heading for this section of Proverbs is called personal and public wisdom, right? What did we call chapters 1 through 9? We called it parental wisdom, as, as the, the major thrust there was parents and training up children. But here, it's per, in 10 through 24, it's personal and public wisdom. How we, uh, as adults now, how we live the Word of God personally and publicly. All right, so this is the point of study then under main point two. The personally righteous individual, personally living in God's wisdom, they will manifest a public integrity. You can't help it. If you're letting the Word of God do its work, if you're living your life according to those standards, then you're not going to be a business cheat. You're not going to be, a, you're not going to have unethical uh, practices in the community. This is actually the core principle behind public wisdom. And ideally what you want is you want more than one guy in your neighborhood to be living this way. <laughs> you want two guys, three guys, ten guys, twenty guys. You want to have a, a core element in your neighborhood, in your state, in your nation. Because the more believers that you have living out their faith in the fear and admonition of the Lord, the, the better the impact is, the greater the impact is going to be in the, in the neighborhood, in the state, in the community, in the, in the nation. See. But look at how it starts. It, 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 it's not top-down. It's not government-mandated. It's not enforced uh, by the authorities over us to force us to live in a certain way. We don't want that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that. Do you want that? I don't want a theocracy until Christ is here. I don't want a government telling me how to worship, how to live. Uh, I don't want a government providing my moral standards. I want Scripture providing my moral standards. I want the Word of God working in my heart and your heart and as many people as we can. That's where the impact is going to come. So This is the core principle behind public wisdom. And I think if we keep the order appropriate in this, in this sense, then, um, man, the, 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 uh, everything else allows us to relax then. All right, then we can have prayers that are shaped by Scripture. Then we can have prayers that are in agreement with Scripture. Why does First Timothy tell us to pray for our president? Pray for the kings and, and all who are in authority. Why? So that we can live a quiet life in godliness and dignity. All right, the whole thing is about is about our personal wisdom that we reflect in public life. 
Anyway, we'll, we'll have more to say on that, I think. And it'll become clear as we move on, as we deal with each of these verses. Um, because we've got uh, so many of these here in this chapter that are all dealing with neighbors, dealing with, uh, how many times does neighbor show up in this chapter? Uh, in the community, uh, the impact that, that good decisions have versus bad decisions have and, and so forth. And um, yeah, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be clear as we work our way through these chapters. All right, let's talk about business. We'll spend the whole um, hour today, I think, on, on this slide. Uh, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Uh, balances and weights, this is what was used to measure out uh, gold, to measure out silver, to measure, measure out uh, grain or, or any other commodity. In, in the conduct of trade, you used a scale. And uh, you would weigh out the, the uh, materials that were being bought, the materials that are being sold, the coinage of what was being provided or paid, the, uh, the bullion that was being paid, all of this would get weighed. And so if you're doctoring with the scales, then you're, uh, you're a cheat in your business dealings. And so um, uh, are you going to get away with it or not get away with it? See, what's, what's the approach? Is it a worldly approach or is it God's approach? Public wisdom appears in commercial translation, or it doesn't. It either appears or it doesn't. And you find out if you're dealing with somebody that's operating on, a, on God's standard, or you're, you're operating, you, know, you're, you have business dealings with somebody that operates on the world standards. And this is huge. Because what happens if you're unequally yoked to an unbeliever? And he wants to misrepresent certain things in, uh, in the ledger. And he wants to file his taxes in a certain way that's, that's not upright. And now uh, you find, wait a minute, I'm unequally yoked. <laughs> I'm, uh, he's going to go to prison and I'm going to go to prison because <laughs> we're, we're, uh, we're violating whatever. You know, there's, there's, there's federal laws at, at work here. And uh, what are we going to do? How do, we, uh, how do I operate biblically? See, this is, this is huge. So do I, do I compromise my standards in order to not go to jail? <laughs> do, I, do I depart from the business dealing and, and suffer a loss for my own integrity? What do I do in this? See, that's why I think it's staggering to me that um, some of these WikiLeaks and you're reading about the cover-up and different things, and the, the, never once is the temptation to own up to what was done and admit it. And it's all about how do we get away with this? How do we cover it? How do we lie? How do we keep this hidden? How do we not go to prison, say, because we should be in prison? And you read all these emails and think, where's the integrity? Where is the public wisdom, that has been, uh, personal wisdom that's become public wisdom? Well, clearly there's wisdom from below that's earthly, natural, demonic, and that's what's at work there. Let me get to this, though. Uh, Proverbs 11.1, 1, Leviticus 19. Take a look at Leviticus. Leviticus 19. You know, God is a God of truth. That's why lies are so serious. God is a God of justice. That's why injustice is so serious. I think injustice is something that, that hits us in our humanity. We're made in the image of God, and sometimes injustice will, will make us mad. We'll look at something and say, that's not right, that's not fair. 
Even an unbeliever who denies the existence of God will still have a sense of outrage if he views something he views to be unrighteous, <laughs> right? And they look at something and say, that's not fair, and their, their unrighteous soul is vexed. Well, why is that? What is the part of your creative nature that is, is railing against a perceived injustice? And let's talk about that, because you're right there. You yourself are testifying to the absolute justice of God and the creator of this universe. And so they, they may hate God, they may deny that he's there, but their own railings um, betray them, I think, in an awareness of right and wrong, justice and injustice. All right, in Leviticus 19, verses 35 and 36, you shall do no wrong in judgment. Oh, there's so much in this chapter. Um, things that are forgiven, think how to operate in, in society, how to... Uh, uh, the things that will defile a land. Oh man, I got to teach Leviticus someday. But um, you'll notice there's a stranger who resides with you in your land in verse 33. Uh, the scripture says a lot about borders and who comes into your land and what. How do you treat them while they're in your land? They don't belong there. They are a stranger. Uh, you don't have a right to abuse them. Obviously, the stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You know, there is a blessing and an opportunity to give them the gospel and to, and to bless them and to encourage them and then to, you know, help them to return to where they belong. Or um, if they are going to legally operate, that's right, if they are going to emigrate and are going to become like Ruth, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. She's going to forsake her her Moabite culture and land and heritage and language and all that and, and become uh, a part of the uh, covenant nation of Israel, then, then that can be done, all right? But it's got to be done biblically. It's got to be done with God's wisdom. Anyway, uh, verse 35, you shall do no wrong in judgment, in measurement of weight or capacity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, a just hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the reason why these things are serious is because God is a God of justice. It's grounded in his character. You see it right there in verse 36. I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt. And so any, any uh, unjust scales, any cheating in this regard is, a, is an attack on God's character. His justice, his integrity, his nature, it is a serious deal. And, and the idea that you're going to have two sets of scales, right? One when you're the buyer and one when you're the seller. <laughs> you know, that's, 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 just, that's just cheating. Saying, well, I'm going to buy this, so I'm going to use this set of scales here where I can, I can put, you know, 14 ounces of silver on it, but it, it will measure as if it's 16 ounces of silver. And I get credit for paying 16 ounces of silver. But I didn't really pay 16 ounces of silver. I paid 14 ounces of silver right? But because my scales are rigged, I'm, I'm getting over. I'm stealing. I'm, I'm stealing two ounces of silver from that man. Or they get weighted the other way when I'm the seller, okay? And so he's paying me good silver. I'm giving him grain or whatever I'm, I'm trading. And, and now I've got other scales. And, and, and so he bought a hen, but he's getting less than a hen because the, because the scales are gimmicked that way as well, all right? This is not just the ancient world, by the way. This is modern times. Every time I pump gas, I'm checking that seal on the, on the gas pump. I want to know because the, the, the Texas Agriculture Department is supposed to have a sticker on that gas pump. And especially if I'm going, I like to go to, you know, 
shady parts of town and, and buy the cheapest gas I can. But if the, if the, if the, I mean, I, I go to gas stations Sharon doesn't feel safe in. But if I go there and I'm pumping gas, I want to make sure, hey, this is, uh, this is going to be, it's going to have a sticker on there. It's going to be sealed. It's going to be inspected. It's, I'm going to make sure that it's pumping, right? Because you can do the same thing. You can gimmick the, the gas pump. And you, and you think you're buying 10 gallons of gas, and, and the thing says you just bought 10 gallons of gas, but it only put 9 gallons in your car. <laughs> and how do you know, right? Except you get in the car and you start it up and you go, wow. Okay? Anyway. Um, this is what we're talking about. So we're talking about uh, as a facet of law. Now here's Israel in the theocracy, and they have these principles encoded into their into their laws we can pattern ours after their laws and not, and not be a, a theocracy we, we're simply imitating that which is um, acceptable in in uh, in, a, in a gentile nation right we don't uh, we don't have laws like thou shalt not murder and thou shalt not steal and, and things like that because we're a theocracy we have those laws because under God's principles the laws of divine establishment that will produce order in a culture that will produce stability in a in a society all right it only makes sense <laughs> that that this justice and this fairness and this this uh, standard it will produce the greatest amount of peace and stability within a uh, within a community. Deuteronomy 25, verses 13 through 16. Deuteronomy 25, verses 13 through 16. I mean, at a certain point, every believer needs to step back and evaluate what is their philosophy of civic life i mean government what is their philosophy of of how we operate and it comes down to those laws of divine establishment god put it in the scriptures for volition for marriage for family for for nationalism all right those four fundamental laws and if you're maladjusted on any of those i i I think every believer better just get get solid on it understand we volition marriage family nations because i tell you this world's insane it is upside down and backwards, redefining marriage, redefining children, redefining nations, wanting to have no borders, just a whole planet of, of uh, utopia. Okay? All right, Deuteronomy 25. Verse 13, You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a large and a small. Okay? So you got these two little stones in there. And say, this is my... This is my Whatever. This is my um, my effa weight, okay? Or this is my hin weight, or whatever it is. And so you pull it out of your pocket and you put it on the scale. So that's my hin weight. When you know it's not, you know that's your that's your light one, and you got the heavy one also in your other pocket. All right. But you put that stone on the on the scale, and then whoever you're doing the business dealings with, he's putting his thing on the other side of the scale. And go, hey, there we are. But you're cheating. So you shall not have in your bag differing weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. So, you know, the bag is when you're traveling. The house is if you're the proprietor, okay? Either way, you shall have a full and a just weight. You shall have a full and just measure that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Oh, wait a minute. You mean there's more consequences than just civil consequences? You know, this whole attitude, well, I'm only in trouble if I get caught. 
And then, well, okay, I'll probably have to pay a fine. Or, well, okay, I'll have to... There are divine consequences to cheating the God of justice. Divine consequences. Notice, your days may be prolonged in the land which your God gives you. When we talk about the X, Y, and Z number of days that we're given, right? We know that honoring father and mother can extend our days. Here's another verse that tells us what can extend our days. Integrity in our business dealings can extend our days. Integrity in just weights and just measures and fair exchange. Fair exchange meaning uh, a volitional engagement, a volitional covenant between two individuals. I want the gallon of milk. You want three bucks. Okay? So I go to H-E-B and I give them my three bucks and they give me a gallon of milk. How much is milk? I don't even know. But whatever it may be, all right? I want the cheeseburger. They want my five bucks. Whatever it may be. It's a volitional exchange. And it's a win-win every time. That's That's the beauty of this. Because it's all grounded in thou shalt not covet and thou shalt not steal. It's all grounded in what's, what, while, it's, while it remains yours, is it not under your control? We see, we taught this last Sunday night with Ananias and Sapphira. We taught this last, night, uh, last uh, Sunday night when, when um, we were given kind of the opposite for the gift of giving. <laughs> we were teaching the gift of giving and all the great examples we have for the gift of giving. And Ananias and Sapphira are the anti-example. They are the negative example. For, uh, for not the gift of giving, but for um, putting on a show and trying to impress people with, with uh, the money you're spending. And, uh, but the point there being that when, when Peter rebuked Ananias, he said, look, that's your land. Do with it what you want. And even after you sold it, that price is yours. Do with it what you want. It is under your control. And there are so many fundamental principles of economics that come in that one verse. While it is yours, you control it. Ownership is control. Ownership is control. So this is why when you surrender certain amounts of control, you want to surrender certain amounts of control biblically. You surrender certain amounts of control biblically when you lay down expectations of ownership volitionally. Right? Man, I could go on and on for this, but this is this is so key in understanding these things. So uh, we have free trade, and I'm going to surrender my 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 money, and they're going to surrender their product, and and it's a win-win because to me, I would much rather have that cheeseburger than the five bucks. It's worth it to me, and so I win. I get something that's worth more than, and but to them, my money is worth more because they can make more cheeseburgers. And for them, it's, it's worth my money. And so they're winning, they're gaining, they're profiting. I'm profiting. It's a win-win both ways in a free exchange. Okay? What I'm not doing is robbing my neighbor to pay for my cheeseburger. Okay? That's coveting. That's stealing. That's an unjust weight. And that's what God abhors. All right. So it says here, um, again, uh, you shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a full and just weight. You shall have a full and just measure that your days may be prolonged. There is a divine benefit, not just a consequence. 
in the land which the Lord your God gives you. For everyone who does these things, everyone who acts unjustly, is an abomination to the Lord your God. And we have that same abomination language in Proverbs 11. We have the same abomination language that describes something that is abhorrent, something that is the opposite of a delight, something that you don't want to hug, you don't want to embrace, you don't want it near you. You don't want it, you want it so far from you, you push it away. You want it at arm's length and even further than arm's length. Because, you know, arm's length is still huggable, right? <laughs> All right. And so there we see it. Now, opposite vocabulary. We've already taught the Tokhavah vocabulary of abomination. It came up in Proverbs 3, came up again in Proverbs 6. We've taught it a number of times. I don't mind reviewing it again. But a tokneva, this is the vocabulary, right? Hebrew uh, Strong's number 8441. Tokneva, T-O-W. The apostrophe has to angle to the left because it's the ayin, not the aleph. Tokneva, number 8441. With 112 Old Testament uses. That's, that's, you've got a fair amount to look at there. The Bible says a lot about abominations. Okay? And, uh, and it's, I realize that it's not fashionable. In our generation, in our in our generation, uh, things are so redefined that they call good evil and evil good, and what God calls an abomination, they celebrate and throw parades. And it's just it's heartbreaking to me, uh, as this is the world our children and grandchildren are going to grow up in if if the Lord so delays. And uh, we've seen it already in Proverbs three thirty two, Proverbs six sixteen, Proverbs eight seven. Uh, those are the three times that we had abomination in the in the parental wisdom portion of the book. Only three times in parental wisdom, but 14 times that it shows up in personal and public wisdom. 14 times. And, and that's, I think, significant as well. All right, as we raise our kids, as we train them up, as we teach them, as we kind of shepherd them in their younger years, we don't want to, we don't want to keep them ignorant or blind to the abominations for what they are. They've got to be exposed to it. They've got to know what it is. But neither do we want to dwell on it, you know, and keep harping on it so it's a major point of emphasis. Three times in parental wisdom, 14 times in personal and public wisdom. Because when you're an adult, when you're in full legal standing in your community, and you are standing before God and men alike, living out your wisdom, then We've got to deal with these abominations all the time. Okay? And they're not all sexual abominations either, by the way. I mean, we, we emphasize that because of the, the concentration of usages in Leviticus 18. There's no question that that's the core of things. But then the term gets used in other realms as well, like business dealings. The term gets used in other applications like politics. Yeah, there are other things that are an abomination besides the, the, the sexual abominations that are found in Leviticus. But it starts there, okay? It starts there. That's the main thrust. Anytime you're going to use a metaphor, know what the metaphor is grounded in and start with that and then extend it beyond, if that makes sense. So Tokneva is the abomination. Remember, an abomination is a revulsion, a compelling impulse to drive something far from one's present. It is so revolting. It is such a revulsive, repulsive smell. Did I do revulsive or repulsive? Either one. It is a revulsion, okay? It is revulsive and repulsive. It is just that, oh, 
that smell. Get it away, right? Of anything. It could be, you know, whatever. Diapers, corpses, just nasty smells. And, 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 and you know it's not going to get any better. The, the only solution is to, is to remove, is to put some distance between you and that smell. Um, and, and, and that's the nature of this, okay? The idea that if I embrace it, it's going to smell better. Listen, this, if this abomination starts to smell good, something's perverted. If this, if this abomination starts to have an attraction, something is perverted. Because it is abhorrent in God's estimation. If you find there's an attractiveness to it, that's a problem. That is a carnal mind. That is a darkened mind. That is a reflection of, of thinking that has been uh, uh, given over. All right, Romans 1 talks about that, giving over in the thinking. All right, so real quickly, I'm not going to dwell on this. But just so that you see it, you know it for what it is, Leviticus 18. And there's a reason why Leviticus is so hated. Okay? You get all these Facebook memes and all these other internet memes about Leviticus. Right? As if it has no business even being in the Bible anymore. And and they think they're so clever, they think they're so smart, that if you eat shellfish or something, if you eat uh, shrimp then you have no business to preach against fornication, right? Because, uh, because to them, that's the, that's the wisdom of it. If you eat pork, well, then take Leviticus out of your Bible, okay? And they think they, they, it's just their genius trump card they think solves all arguments, all right? Sad, pathetic, we understand. Uh, the dietary aspects were remedied, in, in the, and we have the text that tells us that. We have in the book of Acts where God is made clean, no longer considered unclean. And we know the reason why we don't have Israel's dietary restrictions. But show me the verse that says we don't have the, uh, where the, all the, the sexual rules are now thrown out, right? Show me, show me the verse that upends all those expectations. You're not going to find it because those rules are still in effect. Uh, those expectations are common to all humanity. Anyway, you guys know that you could teach this yourself. All right, Leviticus 18, verse 22. Uh, see if I back up. I mean, there's so much in this chapter. Can I read the whole chapter? No, not this morning. Um, there's a lot of expressions, and I wish we would pay more attention to them. Who owns nakedness? You own your own nakedness. You own your wife's nakedness. You own who, Whose nakedness do you own? And if you don't own it, it's not yours, okay? It's not yours. And so the possession of, of this. And um, anyway, and, and notice it's not just about sex. It's tied into idolatry. You've got the false god Moloch that's mentioned there in verse 21. You shall not give any of your offspring to offer them to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Child sacrifice is Molech worship. Verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. All right, here's our first use of Totnebah in Leviticus, 22, uh, Leviticus 18, 22. And we got five uses of it right here in this chapter, right here in this paragraph, five uses of it, starting with homosexuality. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. All right? And I realize that they redefine things and they lie and all of the the, 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 the gay agenda that's trying to redefine the scriptures. 
They say, well, the Bible doesn't condemn a, a loving, nurturing, committed marital relationship, blah, 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 blah. Just make me puke, okay? This text says it's the, uh, it's the bedroom activity and um, it is an abomination. Verse 23, also, you shall not have intercourse with any animal to be defiled with it. Oh, my goodness. Try talking in public about homosexuality and bestiality and put those uh, two terms in the same conversation. You will, be, you will be hated. You might even be punched. All right? But there it is. Uh, to be defiled with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. Okay? Verse 23, perversion. And that's a... That's a uh, a parallel term to abomination, and they go hand in hand in, in a lot of ways. Verse 24, do not defile yourself by any of these things, for by all these, the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. Notice, there's a geopolitical application here. This nation is losing its nation because of what they're doing. This people, this nation, remember the whole planet is divided into families and tribes and nations. They've been divided that way since Babylon, Genesis 11. But they're going to lose their nation. They're going to lose their land as a consequence for their idolatry and their wickedness and this defilement that takes place. Critical, I think, that we get this, okay? I'm not saying that these sins are worse than other sins, but I think the Scripture does say that when it does say that certain sins, every sin falls short of the glory of God. Don't get me wrong. Every sin, you know... Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins, right? But, but these sins, and Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, when you sin sexually, you're sinning against your body. You're sinning in a way that has additional consequences above and beyond other sins. And the defilement of, of, of flesh and spirit, the defilement of yourself and your land, this is unique to these types of sins. All right, I'm casting you out before, uh, be, uh, be, uh, verse 24, I'm, don't do these things, for by all these the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled, for the land has become defiled. This is, this is environmental impact. This is land pollution. Land pollution is not uh, your SUV and, the, and the, the, the carbon dioxide you're emitting in the, in the, in the environment. Land pollution, here's the fornicating. The homosexuality, the bestiality, the fornication defiles the land. The land has become defiled, therefore I have brought its punishment upon it, so the land has spewed out its inhabitants. Okay? Search the scriptures. Two things defile real estate. The fornication and the bloodshedding. When Cain murdered Abel, the, the ground, the blood was crying out from the ground, and Yahweh came down to investigate and, and we, you and I live in a land, America is, is a bloodthirsty land. We are violent, we shed blood, we kill babies, and we fornicate, okay, as a culture. I say we, not this room, but I'm talking about we, our nation, our culture. All right, for the land has become defiled, therefore I brought its punishment upon it, so that the land has spewed out its inhabitants, it's vomited, it's spewed it out. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not do any of these things, these abominations. There's we're talking about again in verse 26. Don't do these abominations. Neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. 
So this is a law for the theocracy, that is Israel, but also for the alien who sojourns among you. Sojourn meaning you're here for a season, you're here for a time, you're here for a, a, a period, but it's a sojourn, and you're going back. All right. For the men of the land who have been before you have done all these abominations, and the land has become defiled. Again, Tokneva defiles a land so that the land will not spew you out should you defile it as it has spewed out the nation which has been before you. Right now we're studying Jeremiah on Sunday mornings and what's about to happen. The land needs a break. Israel is being sent into 70 years of captivity so the land can have 70 Sabbaths to uh, recover from uh, all the idolatry that Israel has been pursuing, that, that Judah has been pursuing in, uh, in those years. That's verse 27, uh, verse 28. The land will not spew you out should you defile it as it spewed out the nation which has been before you. For whoever does any of these abominations, there it is again in verse 29, those persons who do so shall be cut off from among their people. You can prolong your days in the land. You can cut off your days in the land. There's X, Y, and Z predetermined days in the plan of God. All right, so you get the sin of the death. You get the shortened lifespan. You get, the, you get uh, 20 years off your life for a practicing homosexual. Okay, That's just vital statistics on average. Thus you are to keep my charge that you do not practice any of the abominable customs which have been practiced before you, so as to not defile yourself with them. I am the Lord your God. Well, there it is. Okay, and this is uh, what we see. And this is the the really the, the the concentrated text of the scriptures that introduces us and defines what a tokeva is, what an abomination is. So that when we have abominations and other practices like business dealings, unjust scales, and so forth, we can recognize that it goes back to this pattern where we realize that this is what is so detestable to, 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 to God. Why it is he wants to push it away. Why it is that it's abhorrent in his sight. All right? This is the basis for those other things also being called abominations. All right. Anyway, back to our text. Like I say, we've already seen it. You might recall Proverbs 3.32. The devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. It's a great verse. I think it helps to spell out the distinction between pushing away and hugging, okay? Pushing away or being intimate. The devious are an abomination. He wants nothing to do with them. He's pushing them away. But the upright brings them close, hugs them. He's intimate with the upright. Chapter 6, you've got the uh, six things which the Lord hates. We have God's hatred. Remember, we had hating lessons back in Proverbs chapter 6. How to hate biblically, how to hate as God hates. Notice, seven which are an abomination to him. So there's the parallel between the hatred and the abomination. You don't celebrate the abomination, you hate the abomination. And uh, you'll notice uh, those aren't sexual in that list. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies. And then number seven, which is really the, the one being stressed in the six plus seven pattern, 
one who spreads strife among brothers. One who spreads strife among brothers. God's attitude towards those seven things is described in a way similar to, with that abomination language, going back to the the, uh, Leviticus 18 foundation. Finally then, Proverbs 8 and verse 7. My mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. And here's wisdom speaking and inviting uh, the naive to come and listen. All right. So three times in parental wisdom, 14 more times in Proverbs 11 through 24. I won't search for them here this morning, but just pay attention and we'll be spotting them as we work our way through. And then in the, in the last portion, in the Hezekiah portion of the book, uh, there are four additional items in uh, Proverbs 25 through 29. So it's not a major thrust of the Hezekiah collection, but uh, it is here in uh, Proverbs 10 through 24. All right. Now, the opposite of abomination is ratzon, favor. Ratzon, favor. And I, a lot of times I get lazy and I, I shorten the A in ratzon to, to make it sound more like a rat, you know, like this disease-infested rodent, this ratzon. But no, it's ratzon. It's a longer A sound. The comments is a long comments there. Ratzon. 75.22 with 56 uses. A bunch of Leviticus uses too, by the way, which I think is, is extraordinary. Because in, 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 in many respects, Proverbs is giving us here the, 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 the way how in personal and public wisdom we can live out our lives biblically. We can live out our lives biblically with the same kind of language a Levitical priest would be concerned about in how they conduct their priesthood. All right, So a believer can live out their, their daily life in, in, in the same way with the idea of abomination versus favor. The, uh, the contrast between the Toknava and the Ratzon, all right? Just as that is a, a driving um, concern for a Levitical priest, it should be a driving concern for any believer that wants to walk in wisdom. Any believer, Old Testament, New Testament alike, who wants to conduct his personal life and his public life in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord God. So you want to learn these terms. Totneva on the one hand versus Ratzon on the other hand. R-A-T-S-O-W-N. The rat's own. <laughs> the rat's own what? I don't know. All right, 7522 is the Strong's number and 56 uses. Um, I, don't, I did not put all 56 uses on the screen, but I put a lot of them. All right, to show you the, the uh, impact that it has in Leviticus, to show you, uh, the, I think, the devotional impact that it has in the Psalms, uh, many of the Davidic Psalms and other Psalms that embrace this. Proverbs 8, 35, 13 times in Proverbs 10 through 19. You know, Proverbs 8, 35, it's the only time that it's used in, uh, in the parental wisdom section. Only once does Ratzon appear in, in Proverbs 1 through 9. And that's uh, in, in that powerful Proverbs 8 chapter, right? But 13 times in Proverbs 10 through 19. Also, I think significantly, eschatologically, in, uh, with reference to the, the Messiah in Isaiah 61 too. So what is, what is favor? What is a delight? Here it's called a delight, right? Just scales, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. What's a delight? 
What is a delight? I mean, just in English terms, what is a delight? I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's a good thing. It is something you like. It's delightful. It's something that is pleasant. You, you actually wouldn't mind having another one, <laughs> right? It's, uh, it's uh, something that you, you would like more of. It's something that you want to hold closer. It's something maybe that you would cherish or protect. Okay? A delight is a favorable, acceptable thing. It's favorable. That's why a lot of times it's translated favor instead of delight. It's a favorable, acceptable thing. Acceptable. Yeah. That's approved. That's acceptable. I want more of that. That's good. I want that. Okay? Which impels someone to embrace it close or embrace it closely. Okay? To embrace it close. It's favorable. What is it that you favor? Do you favor vanilla or chocolate? Okay? Whatever. I favor vanilla. Sharon favors chocolate, so we get along great. It's, uh, it's, it's beautiful to be in a mixed marriage like that, whereby um, she's not trying to steal my vanilla and I'm not trying to steal her chocolate, so, you know, we get along well. The, uh, but the, the, uh, what is it that you favor? What is it that you delight in? What is it that you prefer? This is, this is the sense of... And, and, and the neat thing about it, I, I love how God designed this, don't you? I love how um, in the image of God, he crafted us to have senses. He crafted us to have um, not just senses, but, but uh, palates. We can taste, we can smell, we can prefer. Even, I mean, in, in all of our senses. There's things that visually we prefer. There's things that, that audibly we prefer. There are sounds that sound beautiful and there are sounds that sound awful. And in some cases, it's a matter of preference. It's a matter of, it's not, it's not objective even, right? It is thoroughly not objective. My, uh, my daughter finds my music objectionable. To her, my Southern Gospel Quartet music is, it just hurts her ears, all right? And then there's whatever that is she's listening to, which she calls music, that... that hurts my ears. No, I'm teasing because I don't really pay much attention. But uh, I, on occasion when she's played it to me, it's not really unpleasant, but it's just, uh, I don't know. But there's, there's and, and two, there's flavors. Objectively, is there anything wrong with chocolate? No, not really. I mean, yeah. If I have to, I will. But I, I mean, I don't really, I don't actively dislike it. But I wouldn't pick it first over, over a good slice of cheesecake or something. I mean, it, it just comes down to favor. It comes down to, to preference, okay? If, if I have to have some chocolate, well, then put some peanut butter with it. Give me a peanut butter cup. Give me a Reese's thing if I have to have some chocolate or caramel or give me a Snickers or something, okay? Try to blend that chocolate with something else that, that mitigates smell, taste, touch all of these we can develop preferences for things that we like or things that we don't like 
So liking and don't liking. And, and I think that's, that's, that's neat. I don't know. I guess animals have that. Maybe kind of they can develop a, a taste for things. But, I mean, couldn't God have made us like a cow and just eat the grass all the time? And how much flavor is there in the grass? How much flavor is there in the... But no, He didn't design us like that. You know, the animals, they don't have taste buds. Yeah. All right. So, uh, rot zone for favor. And we're just going to start on this. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be rat, zone, rat zoning next week. But Leviticus 1.3, again, back to Leviticus. And, uh, and, and I think the, um, the variety of ways that rat zone gets translated reflects the uh, usage in, in different contexts and in different, uh, the use of the concept in different realms. Okay? Because... I don't want to vote for a tasty candidate, but I do want to vote for a favorable candidate. I want to vote for a pleasing candidate. And, and so uh, maybe there's an expression where it should be rendered tasty or it should be rendered favorable or it should be rendered delightful. Okay? Somebody might be distasteful, but still delightful. Is that possible? All right. What would be favorable to our nation? All right, <laughs> I'm going to be glad when this election's over. These these illustrations are getting rough sometimes. All right, Leviticus one three. Um, so the Lord called to Moses, spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, "Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when any man." of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the animals from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. Now the acceptability there is the ratzon. All right. Do you want to smell good or you want to stink when you bring your offering? Do you want your offering to smell good? Do you want your offering to stink? You want The offering needs to be a sweet-smelling savor before the Lord. You need to be acceptable before the Lord. And if you bring something that stinks, you stink. Okay? And we have the, the, the principle of, of this here. And this is serious. We're going to see Nadab and Abihu, and they're going to bring strange fire. That's not acceptable. God is a righteous God, and He demands righteous worship. He doesn't just leave it to us to bring whatever you want to bring. You know, Cain brought vegetables. How, how, did, how did he do with that? See, you just don't show up bringing what you want to bring any old way, any old way you want to bring it. God spells it out. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth, for in such God seeks to be his worshippers. So that's our first clue. It's called acceptable. And uh, acceptable is, is throughout this. It's, it's actually featured in Isaiah 61, the acceptable year of the Lord. It's talking about the favorable year of the Lord. It's talking about preaching freedom to the prisoners, giving sight to the blind, the blessings of the coming Messiah, and the millennial promises in the acceptable year of the Lord. So it's the right zone, see. Well, I'm out of time, so um, we'll pick up on this next week. We'll uh, get what the favor's about. We'll kind of keep the, the terms clear because sometimes favor gets confused with grace, all right, a different Hebrew word. There's grace, there's mercy, there's favor. This is, uh, this is the term for favor. This is the term for what's acceptable, what is delightful.
what you like and what you want more of and what you embrace. And that's uh, what we have to understand. All right. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for Proverbs 11. Thank you for all your grace moving forward. Father, we want to learn how to live. And uh, so that we can learn how to live. My old childhood pastor used to say, we live to learn so that we can learn how to live. And Father, we want to have not just a personal wisdom, how we conduct our personal life, but also, Father, a public wisdom in how we interact with Austin and Texas and the United States. Father, make clear to us what our role is as, uh, as, as uh, the ambassadors that we are in Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.